0: Wonderful to worship God together with you today on another Friday. If you're new to us, my name is Dave Furman. I serve as one of the elders here at the church. I do want to let you know a piece of wonderful news. We received news yesterday that the Dubai government has given us another three-month extension to meet publicly. So we we praise God for that, especially since today is February 1st and we've received about 3 p.m. yesterday, permission to meet February, March, and April. So we will continue to thank the Lord for the government, and we will continue to pray that those extensions will keep coming uh, in the years to come. And the Lord has indeed been kind to us. We've had the privilege of meeting continuously for nine years here in there. We've always had a place to meet publicly every single Friday. And every year at this particular time of the year, we celebrate our church's anniversary This year, we'll celebrate nine years of God's faithfulness on the 9th of February. So nine years on the 9th. We'll start at 5 p.m. with a light meal at the Amal Ballroom. So that's the ballroom on the other side of the hotel. So I want to encourage you to join us as we reflect on God's grace in our congregation in the past. And as we look ahead to what God might do in the future. So make note, it's on the 9th, which is actually a Saturday evening. So one week from tomorrow, starting at f- 5 p.m. here at the Marriott. Come join us as we celebrate God's work in, a, in us and through us. Well, we're back on the Sermon on the Mount today. We're in the middle of a 20-week series. We've taken a short break. Well, the week before the sermon on this particular passage— Another pastor said to his congregation, in preparation for next week's message, I'm asking all of you to read through Mark chapter 17 next week. In the beginning of the sermon, the following week, the pastor asked for a show of hands. How many of you in this past week took the time to read Mark chapter 17? Well, nearly every hand went up. (laughs) <laughs> the pastor just smiles and laughs and says, I see. But let me tell you something you should probably know. Mark only has 16 chapters. And so begins my sermon from Matthew 5 on the sin of lying. <laughs> well, Redeemer Church, if you haven't already turned there, or if you've gone ahead to Mark chapter 17, back it up a little bit and look at Matthew 5 on truthfulness and lying. I laugh at that story. We laugh at that story. I also laugh at the answer one little boy gave to his mother when she asked him the question, dear, what is a lie? Well, mother, he said, a lie is an abomination to the Lord, but a very present help in time of need. (laughs) Kids. (laughs) Well, what do you think about lying? Do you think about it? Do you lie? Do you ever tell those little pesky white lies to exaggerate the truth? Have you been hurt by someone else's lies, deceit, betrayal, adultery? People who've suffered from a spouse's adultery will often say it's not the immorality that hurt the most, it was the betrayal, it was the broken trust that pierced their hearts. What does Jesus have to say about lying in truthfulness. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen the scribes and Pharisees' hypocrisy on full display. They wanted everyone to believe that they followed God's law, but instead, they actually changed it to fit their own image. Sure, they didn't technically commit adultery, but they said you could divorce your wife at any time for any reason and then go marry another woman. It was utter hypocrisy, appearing to follow the letter of the law, but they were completely missing the spirit of the law. No adultery, check. No murder, okay, check. No lying, well, never did that, check. But was that true? Were they truth tellers? No, they just redefine God's law once again. Well, here's the main point today. Last week, we had a great sermon. It was a 10-point sermon, so to give us a bit of a break, I got one short point today. Here's the main point. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Easy to remember, right? Tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's what Jesus is telling us here in his most famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5. So, Turn to verse 33. You have it there in your bulletins if you don't have a Bible with you. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. Well, Jesus is not actually referring to the law here or quoting the Old Testament. Did you notice what he says? When Jesus quotes Scripture, he'll say something like, as it is written He's pointing here to what's been said about the law. Jesus is not trying to correct or change the Old Testament law. He's actually going to critique the religious teacher's interpretation of the law. The prevailing teaching was if you swear an oath, well, you better do what you've sworn. Now, so far, so good. That's okay. That's okay teaching. To swear, in verse 33, doesn't here mean to curse God or to use bad words. It's not what Jesus is saying. To swear here means to affirm the truth of a statement while calling on God to judge you if it's not true. This was normal in Jesus' day. People would say things like, by thy life, I swear to you. By my head, I vow to do what I say. Perhaps in our cultures, we say things like, I promise." or I swear to you, or maybe even I swear to God. And children say things like, I pinky swear. Have you ever done a pinky swear? It's, you take your little pinky, your little finger, and you wrap it around your friend's little pinky finger, and you say, I pinky swear to do what I'm telling you to do. It was a promise. Maybe you've heard, I cross my heart and hope to die. Well, in Jesus' day, there was so much lying, so an oath added a bit of comfort for the recipient. But Jesus has something to say about the religious teacher's oaths. Verses 34 and 35. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Jesus says, stop taking your oaths. At first glance, this seems like a direct prohibition to oath-taking. There are some like the Amish people who've descended from uh, German-Swiss who say, yeah, we're just going to completely separate from society so that we can avoid taking vows or oaths like military service or holding office. Is this what Jesus is doing here? Did Jesus abolish all oaths? Well, the answer is no. He's not banning all oaths. He's banning the type of oaths the religious teachers were making. Remember, that's who he's teaching here. We know this because, well, the Bible's full of oaths. Deuteronomy 10, verse 20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. The Apostle Paul swears by God's name in Romans 1. But it's not just man making oaths to God. God actually makes promises to us. God swears in Genesis chapter 9 never to send a flood to earth again. In Genesis chapter 15, the Abrahamic covenant, God passes through the pieces of animal carcasses making a promise to Abraham to make him a great people. In Psalm 132, the Lord swore to David that one of his sons will be on the throne Hebrews 6, God guarantees his unchangeable character with an oath. And even Jesus, God in the flesh, in Matthew chapter 26, won't speak up until he's under oath. And the Bible's filled with covenant promises and oaths. But these are God's grace to us. Of course, God didn't need to make promises. His words are always trustworthy. He doesn't do it because he struggles with the truth, but because we struggle with faith. It's a grace to us. So what does Jesus mean in our passage? Well, he's saying you can't separate or create levels of truthfulness. Jesus is not opposed to oaths, but he's opposed to the teacher's misuse of oaths. They were using oaths as a way to lie the rest of the time. So here's their oath that they would make. But then, you know, when I'm not making an oath, you can kind of say whatever you want to say. They would also add escape clauses to the actual oaths they would make so that they could later invalidate even those. Jesus gives us a picture of this abuse in Matthew chapter 23 by quoting the teachers. They say, if anyone swears by the temple, well, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple... Then he is bound by the oath. So they kind of did all kinds of twisty things to get themselves out of certain kinds of oaths. It's a ridiculous distinction they held. Basically, some oaths were valid, some oaths were not. One rabbi taught that if one swore uh, by Jerusalem, they weren't bound by the oath. But if one swore toward Jerusalem, well, you're bound to it. It's like a child making a promise, but behind their back, crossing their fingers in order in their own mind to invalidate it, to make an escape clause. This is what the religious teachers were doing. They were crossing their fingers, making escape clauses in all their oaths. And Jesus says, you can't do this. If you think you only need to be truthful if you swear by the name of God, you have it all wrong. You can't keep God out of any promise or oath. If you swear by heaven, well, that's where he lives. If you swear by the earth, he props up his feet on that. The earth is his footstool. He made it. He owns it. You swear by Jerusalem. Well, that's God's city. God is everywhere, and God made everything. Well, Jesus doesn't prohibit oaths. He's actually saying stop making false oaths and stop thinking you can go back on your oaths. Jesus is saying tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Regardless of the oath, uphold the truth. Our, our society is a, an oath-making society, too. We have formal oaths for taking public office, for getting married. We also have written ones. We sign documents. We sign credit card receipts, lease agreements, contracts and memos. Our signature is our word: Where to keep promises. And in case we didn't get it already, Jesus says in verse 36, And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You can't change the natural color of your hair. You can't make it white. You can't make it black. Now, of course, you can go buy hair coloring dye. You can go to the stylist to get your hair color. Some of you have done this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands to tell us the truth this morning, if that's you. That's between you and God and your your hair stylist's. And by the way, don't send me emails this, this week about it. It's okay to dye your hair if that's you. It's not the point Jesus is making. The point he's making is it's impossible to change the natural color of your hair. I mean, if you think about your, yourself and your body, if you think anything you own, anything you have control over, certainly you have some control over your hair. And Jesus says, not even that. Even your hair is under God's creation and under his control. The whole world is God's world. That's what He's saying. He holds the world and everything in it in his hands. We're always in the presence of God, and every word we speak is before his face. So while Jesus is not totally abolishing oaths and vows, for the most part, he's saying they're unnecessary. In the normal flow of daily life, you don't need them. Why? Well, because all of our words should be truthful, everything we say should be truth. Verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Just do what you you say you're going to do. Just be honest about who you are. Just tell the truth. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. See, swearing is a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. I mean, do you see that? Why do we find it necessary to swear? Well, it's because someone thinks we're dishonest. I mean, taking an oath could be a confession of one's dishonesty. Honest men and honest women don't resort to oaths because they're always honest. Your word should be enough. Now, Jesus is not saying here, don't sign a contract with a businessman. Remember, he's not abolishing all oaths. But in the general scope of life, speak the truth. Always keep your word in the big things and in the little things. We don't live in the five big yes or no moments of life. We live in the millions of mundane yes or no moments that make up our days and make up who we are. You may be faithful to your spouse and to your country, but what about throughout your day? What about at work? What about at school? What about in your everyday conversations with your spouse or friend or neighbor? Do you follow through on your word and on your promises? Well, naturally, at this point, there may be a couple of questions popping up in your mind right now. I'll try to read your mind and and guess these questions. One, maybe you're asking, is it ever okay to break an oath? Can we break promises? Well, we've already talked about divorce and how the offended party can leave the marriage covenant if their spouse has committed adultery or abandoned them. We've seen that Here in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's one example of being able to break an oath if you've been offended in that way. And if it's more sinful to follow through on the oath than to dismiss it, then we should dismiss it. In the Gospels, we see King Herod making a rash vow to his daughter Salome. Salome performs for him at his party, and he's pleased, and he tells his daughter, daughter, I will give you Everything, anything you want. I'll give you anything you want up to half of the kingdom. Well, her mom urges her to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Maybe you remember this if you've read through the Gospels. Herod says, oops. He didn't didn't want to do it, but he says, well, I guess I promised and I did it in front of my friends, so I've got to do it. Instead of repenting of the ill-conceived oath, he goes through with it. Well, there are some promises or oaths that are so sinful and unwise that it's more sinful to keep them than to break them. So if you've made false oaths, if you've made unwise, ungodly, sinful oaths, repent of them. Do right in God's eyes. Well, here's another question you may be asking. What about lying? Is it ever morally okay to lie? Are we obligated to tell the truth in every situation regardless of the circumstances? Well, how about these examples? Is it ethical to fake a heart attack or to lie and pretend to faint if you're attacked by someone? Is it ethical for a sports team to design trick plays to win the match? Is it okay for police to conduct undercover operations? Is it ethical to mislead someone where you're taking them in order to keep the secret of a surprise birthday party? Is that kind of deception wrong? Or think about some more serious examples. Consider these two biblical examples. Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh demands that the Hebrew midwives kill all newborn male babies. Was it okay to deceive Pharaoh to preserve life? We looked at that a bit last week. Or Joshua 2, Rahab lies to protect Israel's spies. Later, Rahab is listed as a hero of the faith in the book of Hebrews. It appears there are occasions when deception is ethically permissible. Not all falsehoods are lies. Pastor Sam Storms defines a lie as an intentional falsehood which violates someone's right to know the truth. But I think there are cases where people forfeit that right to know the truth. And the question is not whether it's ever morally permissible to lie. The question is, what is a lie? Now, the deceit around a surprise birthday party hardly fits our definition as a lie. And if a lie is a falsehood which violates someone's right to know the truth, then there are times like war or criminal assault where we're not obligated to share the truth. But this isn't our usual dilemma, is it? Not many of us have been in situations like those last ones I've described. Those life and death situations are very rare. Normally, we struggle with lying for other reasons. Normal, everyday, mundane reasons. For some of us, our lying starts with us saying yes to something we should have said no to. Because of fear of of man or wanting to gain someone's approval, we commit to something we shouldn't have committed to. Well, let's be honest, in some of our cultures, it's really, really hard to say no to someone. Each of our cultures are wonderful. We can learn different things from each other. But in some cultures, lying is at times central in the greater culture. Maybe we say yes to certain things that we never intended to do. We do it to save face, to gain approval. Well, friends, this isn't okay. We can't just say, well, that's just how my culture goes. That's how I was raised. That's how everyone else does it. That's how my business goes. You have to lie for business. Well, Maybe you think your work culture necessitates half-truths and lies to be successful. Well, friend, if that's you, come and talk to the elders. We would love to process with you and to consider how you can do your job in a distinctly Christian way. It may be that you need to change some things in your work. It may be you need to get a new job or even career. Christians can't live as liars. We have a biblical culture that supersedes our earthly culture. Once we come to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us, and we have God's Word guiding us. We're new creations. We don't live merely according to our cultural rules. Our biblical rules, our biblical culture, trumps earthly culture. And as Christians, we are citizens of another kingdom, and so we are guided by God's book, not our culture's rules. As Christians, we don't say yes unless we mean it. We fight the temptation to say yes in order to make someone happy or to save face. We've all seen this done. I've been in certain places, maybe I've been traveling and I'm in need of directions, trying to find a certain building, a certain place. And you end up asking three different people for directions and they all send you in three different directions to three different places. Has this ever happened to you? Right? They have no idea what the place is, but they give you an answer anyway to save face. Now, friends, Jesus tells us to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Some of us need to learn to say no. Some of us just need to be honest. When I was a child, there was a slogan that we as kids were supposed to learn with regards to not doing illegal drugs— there's a whole slogan. It it was called, just say no. Just say no to drugs. It was on T-shirts. It was on stickers. We were supposed to memorize it. There, was, there were videos of eggs being cooked on a frying pan. They would say, These are your, this is your brain on drugs. Just say no. Well, friends, some of us just need to learn to say the word no. Just say no. It's a hard word to say. I have two books on my bookshelf. One's called The Art of Saying No, and another one's called How to Say No Without Feeling Guilty. Now, to be honest, because that's what the sermon is about, I haven't actually read either of them. They look great on my (laughs) shelf. I see them often. I leave them there as a reminder to me that it's okay to say no. It's often right to say no. If we can't do something because of capacity or time or ability, let's say so. Being honest is far better than over-promising and under-delivering. If you can't serve that week or make the dinner invite or attend community group or make that meal, just be honest. And as a community, here's, this is really important, as a community, community, let's not put pressure on each other to say Yes. If someone can't go to the party, don't pressure them and make them feel bad about it. Let's not hold it against someone for being brave and saying no. In some of our same cultures, we're greatly offended when someone tells us no. Our feelings are hurt. We get embittered. We're tempted to bully that person, to shame them for their no, to let them know how disappointed we are, to try to do whatever we can to get them to come or to say yes to us. I know this is hard, but friends, let's not do that. I know I've done that myself. But that's not how the world deals with disappointment. That's not how new creations in Christ deal with disappointment. It's unfair and sinful to hold grudges or bitterness in our hearts because someone said no. When we do that, we're not loving them as a brother or sister in Christ. When we put pressure on people, we're actually using them for our own agendas. We're not seeking to love them, we're loving ourselves. Let's take the pressure off each other and let's be careful laying commitments on one another that they cannot, should not, and do not desire to do. Well, for others of us, our struggle is backing out of commitments that we intended to keep. You make a promise, you make a commitment, you give your word that you will do such and such a thing. But then, because it's going to mess with your comfort, you back out. We make a commitment, but now it's going to be an inconvenience. We're really not too busy to do it. Maybe we just mismanaged our time earlier. And now, rather than sacrificing to keep the commitment, we let someone down for our mistake. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Another way we struggle with truth-telling is that in our sinful desire for approval, we embellish the truth to make ourselves look good. And this one's convicting to me. Maybe it is to you as well. Do you ever lie to your boss about how hard you're working? You look like you're busy, but you're not. Your boss comes by your desk and you quickly close one internet browser and open up that work spreadsheet. You hide the fact that you're late to work or to a ministry meeting or a coffee appointment. One of my mentors used to always say, when you're late, you're stealing someone else's time. Or students, do you cheat? on your exams. When I was in year 10 in math class, one of the students found the upcoming test exam on the teacher's desk and he stole it. And so pretty soon the class, the whole class had access to this test ahead of time and could cheat. Youth, what do you do in those circumstances? Or how about when your eyes are tempted to glance over at the student's test next to you? So when you steal someone's answers, you're lying about what you know. Maybe you seek adoration by over-exaggerating how many people attended your event, how many points you scored in the game, or the grade you received on the exam. We lie to make ourselves look better than we really are. We live an Instagrammed life, posting pictures of our highlights, giving off the impression of our so-called perfect life. We exaggerate our difficult circumstances to get more sympathy. Or how about this one? Have you ever taken a sick day when you were healthy? Don't answer that. (laughs) Have you told someone you'd pray for them, but then didn't? Have you lied to your spouse about your whereabouts? Have you lied about the amount of your debt, lowering the amount out of shame? Have you taken a loan from a friend without the intention of paying it back? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're in real financial danger, don't take out another loan. Come talk to the church if you don't have food to eat. Don't dig a deeper hole out of fear what others might think of you. I remember one family in our church years ago. They had a nice house, a nice car. Their kids were in a a nice school. All the while they were racking up more and more debt. It was impossible for them to recover. And when it finally came out, when the truth came out, I asked them why they kept all that going for so long. And the man said, Well, we need it to look like we had it all together. Oh, friends, that's called living a lie, and there are consequences. Well, maybe another way we lie is by saying that we're okay when we're not okay. That's a lie. I mean, how many times have we been asked, How are you doing? And we say, Oh, I'm good how are you doing, Pastor Dave? I'm great. I'm doing really good. But we say that at times maybe when we're not doing okay, don't we? I did it just last week. I had a call with a couple of pastors, and one of them asked how I'm doing. I said, oh, I'm good. And then 10 seconds later, I had just been studying this passage, so conviction was definitely in my heart, and I interrupted our conversation. A few seconds later, I said, actually, it's a, I'm, it's a terrible week. I'm, I'm not doing well today at all. And then I explained, and I said, I'm sorry for saying that I was okay. It's almost a reflex that we have. We think maybe it makes us look like we have it all together. I don't know. It keeps us from actually sharing our our hearts. Whatever our motivation is, it's not the truth. Or how about this one? I've done this a time or 2,000 times. You send a text or make a call to a person. You're, You're running late for a meeting, and so you Make a text or you make a call and you tell them you'll be there in five minutes. When you know in the, in the deepest recesses of your heart that you're at least 10 minutes away or you say, I'm parking right now, I'll be right up, but you're still all the way down the street. Why do, why do we say things like that? It's not the truth. Five minutes sounds better than ten. I'm at the parking garage, sounds better than down the street, but those are lies. We're saving face. Okay, this is way too convicting. We need to move on. For some of us, we lie so much that we can't distinguish the lies from the truth anymore. We're living a lifestyle of lying. And our sin of lying, the little white lies and the big lies affect the whole community. When you lie, you hurt others. And your lies leave a legacy of crushed lives in their wake. Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church, let's tell the truth. Redeemer Church, what if instead we were a people who described events without distortion? What if we were people that actually shared the truth when people asked us questions? What if we were a community that watched our tongues and measured each response to make sure we were accurate? What if our family life at Redeemer was marked by truth-telling? What if we knew that when we were talking to someone else, we were utterly convinced that they were telling us the truth because that's who we are, marked by the truth? True courage. This is true courage. True courage is telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's courage. That's being courageous. Courage is telling the truth plainly. Well, how do we do all this? How do we be truth-tellers? Well, two ways. Two ways. Number one, we need to be truthful about our lies. And number two, we need to trust the God of truth. Well, how do we change in our truth-telling? Well, first, we need to be truthful About our lies? Is there some hidden sin in your life that you need to confess? One of the main reasons we struggle with telling the truth is out of cowardice. You're in an accountability group meeting and talking with a friend, and you just share just enough of your sin to make yourself feel good and not a total liar. You rationalize that you've shared about your sin. Well, since recently, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about lust and pornography. I'll use that as an example. You have a friend, you're meeting for coffee, they ask you, how are you doing with your struggle with lust? And you say, well, you've struggled with your thought life, and you were tempted to watch some pornographic videos this week, but you didn't. When in reality, yes, you didn't watch videos, but you intentionally and premeditatively looked at graphic pictures on the internet. Oh, friends, telling a partial truth is not a truth. A half-truth is always a full lie. Maybe you convince yourself that sharing your sin to your spouse will ruin them. it'll, It'll hurt them too much. They can't handle the truth. But really, it's you who can't handle telling the truth. You're not trying to protect them, you're protecting yourself from them. Or maybe you have the strategy of sharing a little bit about your sin with one person, and a little bit about your sin to another person, then something different about your sin to another person, and so on. Perhaps confessing different types of sin to each person, but no one knows the whole story. You've manipulated the whole situation. Or, You've just stayed silent about your sin. Oh, friend, your silence about your sin is also sin. Living an unholy life under the guise of holiness is a lie. If you're a member of this church, we've made a commitment together in our covenant to strive to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We aren't perfect we seek to live open lives, walking in holiness. The lack of a confession of sin is a lie, whether or not your friend or pastor asked you specifically about it. Youth and teens, if you're here, you're youth, you're a teenager, cultivate a soft heart now for the Lord and a tender conscience. Don't be annoyed that your youth leaders or your parents are asking you tough and specific questions. Be grateful that they care so much about your soul. Praise God for their influence in your life. Make the most of every conversation that you have with your youth leaders and with your parents. And just go for it. Just get it out now. Be honest. Talk about your real feelings. Pour out your heart. Confess your sin. Describe your temptations. Do it now when you're a youth and a teenager. Do it now. Because if you don't do it now and you keep walking the path of lies, you're going to lead yourself straight to the grave. But you have hope. Get it out now. Get help now. Talk to your parents and the leaders. Be honest about your life. Redeemer Church as a whole, all of us need to do that. Let's be a community marked by truth. Let's be a community that shares honestly. Let's be a community that when we gather together in fellowship, let's ask each other the hard questions. Let's ask each other intentionally intrusive questions. Difficult questions. I love my old seminary professor, one of my favorite professors, Prof. professor Howard Hendricks. He was about this tall. He was in his late 80s. He had had cancer surgery on his eye. And so he actually wore this big black pirate patch over his eye. And he was the most spunky, the most joyful, energetic man I'd ever seen. And one day he was teaching us about accountability. And he says, it's all good to ask each other tough questions and accountability questions, but always end with this last question. After you've asked everything you want to ask, always ask Have you lied to me about your answers to anything today? It's a good question, isn't it? It gives that person one more chance to get the truth out into the open. We're so easily deceived into thinking that hiding our sin is better for us than confessing it. We need those reminders. Let's press into each other's lives with that kind of godly intrusion. And when someone confesses, let's... Extend grace and love when they show a repentant heart. When they truly turn to Jesus, we need to be ready to forgive each other. A forgiving community will help cultivate true and honest confession. Our church must be marked by being truthful about our lies. But we must also trust the God of truth. Let's look at the second way we can be truth tellers. Trust the God of truth. Oh, friends, we need this hope today. God never lies to us. Not once, not ever. Not in the past, not in the present, not in the future. But from our birth until death, you and I, we struggle with telling the truth. We break promises. We lie, the little ones and the big ones. When Genesis, the minute Adam and Eve rejected God to live their own way, they were dishonest. And we followed their lead ever since. We Need help. We need a God who always keeps his promises to change our hearts. And thankfully, we have one. Promises made by God are always promises kept by God. We know this because God kept the biggest promise. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now For those of us who believe God has sent God in the flesh, God has sent his son to die for us, to redeem us from our sin. And even though keeping that promise was painful, God sending his son, the son of God, Jesus, marching to his death, dripping drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, thinking about the stress, the next day walking to his cross and dying via crucifixion, And not just physical torment, but taking the spiritual torment, taking the full wrath of God and all of our sins upon himself. Even in that, God kept his promises. And when we trust him for salvation, he changes our hearts. He gives us his Holy Spirit, which he also promised to send. And now, by God's grace, we can be truth tellers. Now, being honest starts, though, by acknowledging that we're dishonest. Honesty starts by acknowledging that we're dishonest. Salvation starts by saying you can't save yourself. Oh, God is a holy and creator God. He sees everything, He knows every hair on your head. Everything falls under His gaze. Nothing happens that He doesn't know. Now, on the one hand, it's frightening to consider that God knows our deepest and darkest secrets. It's frightening to know that we will never get away with lying. But on the other hand, it's comforting that God extends grace even to liars. Every lie we tell will be accounted for and punished, either at the cross or, as Revelation 21 tells us, in hell. Friends, none of us are innocent. We all need to look to Christ, crucified on the cross in our place to forgive us from our sins. We need to see the height and the depth and the width of his love for us. Oh, friend, if you haven't trusted in Jesus to save you, turn to him, repent of your sin, acknowledge your dishonesty, acknowledge your need for a savior and turn to him in faith. And if you do, he will save you. My fellow Christian, if you hear me say anything today, hear me say this. Find freedom in Christ as a truth teller. You're only truly free when you're honest. When your security and significance comes from Christ, you don't have to present yourself in a false light. Our lies are a means of controlling the narrative about us. But when we tell the truth, we're entrusting God with control over our lives. Truth telling is such a great place to be. It's a lot of stress to keep up appearances. No one really wants that pressure. Tell the truth and you won't have to worry about getting caught. Tell the truth and trust Jesus to build your reputation. He's the best public relations director for our lives. Now sleep well tonight knowing that you're in Christ and you have all you need. Oh, friends, we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because we live in fellowship with the living God of truth. Oh, what a wonderful truth that is. Well, I want to actually take our moment of silent reflection now, while this is fresh on our minds, and I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Is there anything about my life that is a lie? Am I living a lie? Have I told a lie I need to repent of? Let's take a moment now to assess our own life, to reflect on our lives now, to repent before God, and then after the service to make it right by getting it out into the light. Have I told a lie I need to repent of?